from Bayside Church International, Victor Harbour. This is Chad Mansbridge. Today we're going to start a new teaching preaching series. You can be excited about that, our winter series. And uh, we've simply called it, This Is Us. This Is Us. We're going to be doing a series on identity. It'll be a seven-week series. We're going to choose a core identity that we have in Christ from the Scriptures and, and particularly ones that pertain to us here at Bayside. And we're going to walk through uh, yeah, the process of discovering more and more who we are in Christ. Today, it's just going to serve as an introduction and it's going to be a bit conceptual. I'm just going to basically set the concept and the other voices over the next few weeks will be building on that. So are you ready to start? We want, I want you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. This is a scripture, I realised this this morning, exactly 15 years ago this weekend. Glennis, exactly 15 years ago this weekend, I preached my very first ever Sunday morning message in a church environment and I probably did a terrible job like with a longer introduction than this even oh thank you Glennis but it was 15 years ago this weekend it was the day after Jay's 23rd birthday and we'd come down to a small group about 15 people whatever gathering in the dark black painted small drama room of Victor Harbour High School in a transportable building that no longer exists with uh, guys Marty and Carrie and Stockdale from Impact had gathered together a few families of a Sunday afternoon and uh, we came and we preached there. It was, so Sunday, it wasn't Sunday morning, it was Sunday afternoon, the day after Jay's birthday, this weekend 15 years ago and it was at that time that God had put on our heart to move down here and that small congregation three or four weeks later got the news that we would become the lead pastors and Bayside was born on Father's Day, the first weekend of September, four, week, four weeks earlier. On that Sunday, my first ever Sunday message I spoke about the importance of understanding our identity in Christ because some things never change when you're at some life messages some things that mean the most to you you can just carry that those understanding and that revelation for the rest of your life and so for some of you I'm going to share some things that you've heard Glennis for 15 years and I trust today that it comes out fresh have you found Matthew 16 no I haven't well-known story verse 13 they arrived at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is and they replied well some say John the Baptist others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There's a lot of different opinions, Jesus, about who you are, about who the Son of Man is. And Jesus hits home the question and makes it personal in verse 15 when he says, but what about you? I don't care what other people say. That was just to get the conversation going. The real point is this. What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? I think it's C.S. Lewis that said, this is the most important question that every human being needs to answer for themselves. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And Simon Peter, the loudmouth of the group, always the first to speak, said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. It's not a full description of who Jesus is, 
but it was a profound one, particularly if you understand anything about Hebrew culture, particularly for a Jewish person to admit that, that was a big deal for him to say that. I know who you are, Jesus. You're the Son of God. And Jesus looks at him and answers back straight away and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because what you've said to me was not revealed by humans. You weren't taught this at seminary. You weren't taught this at school. You didn't find this on Facebook. But this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And now I tell you something. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter, now that you've seen who I am, I want you to know who you are. Now that you know who I am, you need to know who you are. And now that you know who you are, I want you to know that I'm forming a community of people, the church, that the gates of Hades will not overcome. There's a more literal translation of the Bible that sometimes I go to called Young's Literal. And, it, and Jesus, it's, it's phrased this way in verse 18. It says, I say to thee, or whatever, that thou art a rock, because Peter's name means rock okay it means that the greek word is uh, petros little stone i say to you that you are a rock and upon this rock i will build my assembly and the gates of hades shall not overcome it young's literal is a bit clumsy but it's it's more literal so it, it helps you to understand what this connection he makes here he calls peter a rock a petros a little stone and then he says but on this rock I will build my church. And that word for this rock is another word in the Greek. It's the word Petra. On this Petros, you are Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church. You are a little rock, but on this big rock, I will build my church. Traditionally, if you come from a Catholic background, you're taught to read that and say that Peter is the rock on which the church is built. Okay, so the Catholics have a tradition, they say Peter was the first pope. Okay, whatever, that's all I say about that. Typically, in evangelical, and he was married, okay, whatever. Typically, in evangelical circles, we say, no, 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 Jesus, of course, is the rock. We find this out later in, in Corinthians and other places, Jesus is the rock. So Jesus is saying, you're a little rock, you're like me, but it's on this rock that I will build my church. It's on the revelation of who I am. I'd like to meet somewhere in the middle as an orthodox, Greek orthodox. I don't know what's in the middle. I don't know what's in the middle of them. I'd like to meet somewhere in the middle and so I wonder whether the rock on which the church is built is the twofold revelation. Peter, you've seen who I am and now I tell you who you are and it's on that rock I will build my church. A revelation of who I am and a revelation coupled with that, because you can't separate them, a revelation of who you are. On that revelation, understanding who you are and understanding who I am, on that revelation, I will build my church. That will be the solid foundation, understanding who he is, understanding who you are because of him. You don't have to agree with that. That's just my two cents, okay? But, that's, but on that rock, on that revelation of who Christ is, and coupled with that, the revelation of who we are. Peter, uh, who Jesus is speaking to here, would later write a letter that we call First Peter. 
genius. And he says this. He says, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, you also are like living stones. And the same words there are used. Petra, Petros. Okay, As you come to him, the living Petra, you also like living Petros. So Peter takes this revelation, this encounter that he had with Jesus, and he relates it to all of you, to all of us. And he says, you also, you come to him, the rock, but you also, like living stones, are being built together as a community. It's the same point. Because of who he is, this is who you are. And because of who you are as an individual, this is who you all are together as a community. Y'all are being built together as a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. He says, I will build my church. Now, I've typically said, and mainly because I've heard other people say this, and you basically say what other people say unless you, until you discover your own thing, right? But I've typically said that this is the first time in the Scripture that the word church is used in Matthew 16. I will build my church. Church, the Greek is ecclesia. It means called out or called together assembly of people. And in one sense, that's true. It's the first time the Greek term is used, because the New Testament was written in Greek. But in another sense, it's not true. Because for 300 years or 200 or so years before Jesus came, all the Jewish people were reading the Old Testament in Greek. The Old Testament's written... Originally in what language? Hebrew. Okay, a bit of Aramaic in there, but mostly Hebrew. New Testament, first century, written in Greek. But by the time Jesus and the church come along, the first century, the Jews of that day had been reading the, New Test the Old Testament in the Greek language for a couple of hundred years. Okay, Australia has been colonized for 200 and something years. That's a long time. Okay, of Australian colonization, English history. That same period of time is how long Jewish people had been reading the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, in the Greek language. So they were used to reading the scripture in Greek. So in that Bible, the Greek Old Testament, which the fancy name for it is Septuagint, Google it, Septuagint. In that Bible that was in all their synagogues, that was, was what they grew up reading, the word ecclesia is used at least a hundred times. And it's, used, it's the same thing, assembly or a gathering of people. And time and time again, it's written, it, it talks about God's, the gathering of God's people, Israel. So when you read the first few books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the word church is used to describe the assembly of God's people under Moses. So in Deuteronomy, it says, they, the assembly came together and in the midst of the assembly, Moses said... In the midst of the ecclesia, in the midst of the church. Interesting. Okay. So by the time the Matthew's been written, it's actually not a brand new unique term because they're used to seeing this in regards to the assembly of the God's old covenant people. Now Jesus is coming along saying, I'm going to build an assembly. Moses had an assembly, Moses had a group of people who were bound to him in a covenant, but now I'm coming along and I will build my assembly on this revelation of who I am. Okay, whatever, that was free. Because of translation bias, 
The translators are happy sometimes to use the word church in the New Testament, but they'll just use the word assembly in the Old because they want us to think that this group of people here is com- in the Old Testament are completely separate from this brand new, never-before thing seen in the New Testament. But possibly we're meant to understand that this is God's church growing, related to him by natural birth through Abraham, and it just becomes a spiritual reality in the New Testament. Maybe this dichotomy of old, new, Jewish, non-Jewish, maybe we're not meant to think that strong. Maybe it's one family developing over history. Anyway, that's also for free. But it's God, Jesus is building a covenant people and he says the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's also a bit of a what does that mean Jesus phrase. Those of you who know any Greek mythology know that Hades is the name of uh, a Greek god but also has the name of the underworld. The, the place of the dead. Okay? So when the New Testament's written in Greek, or when they rewrote the Old Testament, the word grave, or the place of the dead, was the word Sheol, and they replaced it with what all the Greeks used, which was Hades. So they just took the Greek language that all Greek people would understand, the place of the dead. It's not saying that new, the Greek mythology is right. Okay? It's just saying that the word they used was familiar to them. So they used the Greek word Hades to talk about the place of the dead. So Jesus here says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Some translations say the gates of hell, which brings us into the whole understanding of of what hell is. So there's a few different arguments here. Possibly people say that Jesus is talking about something to do with spiritual warfare. The influence of hell or the evil that hell can do, evil from the enemy, sickness, disease, poverty, separation, nastiness, evil, those forces cannot withstand the forward-moving momentum of the church. Okay, I will build my church and those gates that try to keep people locked up cannot, will come crumbling down when my church gets doing what they're supposed to be doing all right, and moving forward with a kingdom of light because light will always overcome darkness. So it's possible that that's how we're supposed to understand that. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But possibly it just also means the gates of Hades, the place of the dead, means that the death will not overcome this community. So death will not have his way with this community. Because remember, God's Old Testament people, an assembly that was gathered together, a church that God was building under Moses, that assembly was constantly destroyed by sin and death. What Romans would call the law of sin and death. They disobeyed and just death kept following them. Maybe Jesus is saying, death will not have its way with this community. Okay, The gates of Hades will not stand against it. They will not succumb to the power of sin and death because they live by the law of the spirit of life. Okay. This is what I do. I enjoy majoring on majors and minoring on majors, minors, okay? Some things, 
when a teacher teaches, you're meant to, you should be, something should be really clear and you should go, yeah, that's absolutely right. I'm really confident about that. And then other things a teacher can do from time to time is just stir your curiosity to think, I don't know what he's saying, or that's interesting, I've never thought of it that way, and both of those things are okay, all right? Because I think good teaching should make us go, yes, that's true, and what, I'm confident. And good teaching should also go, I wonder, because sometimes the best way for you to learn is to ask questions. And so I don't mind stirring questions, and I don't mind if you don't care or don't agree. <laughs> so let's now major on the majors. Here's the point. Firstly, knowing who he is is of utmost importance. John 17, eternal life is knowing him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus said, and that they may know the one that you've sent. Knowing Jesus, as heaven reveals him to be, is the key to eternal life. Okay, So that is of utmost importance that you know him. It's good to know about him and to have a head knowledge that is accurate, but you also need to know him in personal acquaintance. Peter had that that day. He had a heavenly revelation of, for goodness sake, of all the different things I've heard about Jesus. And some of you, all you knew about him growing up was that he was a swear word. Okay, well, No matter what I've heard other people say about Jesus, you need to get to the place where you have a sha-aha moment. This is who Jesus is. Knowing most of you in this room, I'd say that most of you have had that aha moment. If you don't know Jesus, then that question that Jesus said, who do you say I am, that is a really important question for you. Okay? I hope you come to that realisation. I hope the Holy Spirit does a work in you that reveals who Jesus is because he's very real and he's very relatable. He wants to let himself be known. So knowing him is of first importance. Secondly, now that you know who I am, I want you to know who you are as an individual. Peter, your name, or Simon was his name, but Simon, your name is Petros. Your name is Little Rock. You need to know who you are, who Jesus says you are. And you know the profound thing? As you keep reading the Gospels, Peter doesn't use the name Simon to talk about himself anymore he calls himself Peter so he took what Jesus said of him that day and he started saying what Jesus said about him 1st Timothy chapter 6 there's a young guy called Timothy and Paul writes to him and he says listen Timothy because you've got a few problems with facing fear in your life and he says I want you to fight the good fight of the faith and you do that by taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. Everybody say, good confession? Okay. In the presence of many witnesses. The word there for good confession or the word confession is the Greek homos logos. Homos. Homos. Okay. Like homosexual. It means, or homo homogenous. It means the same. Homos, logos means word. So the word confession means the same word. You made a good confession. You said the same word. 
Some of us, particularly if you have that Catholic background, when you think of the word confession, you think of a little black room that you go and speak to a priest about all the nasty things you've done. Is that what the Bible means when it says confession? Because the word is homos logos, the same word, and he says this, the good confession in the presence of mean witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Jesus made the good confession. Now did Jesus ever go to a black box and tell Pontius Pilate how sinful he was that week? Hello? Is that what Jesus, is that the good confession Jesus made before Pontius Pilate? No. You need to read that and then go, okay, I need to go back to the Gospels and read what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate. And I'll do it for you. Pontius Pilate is facing him and is, is antagonizing him. And Jesus is not saying much at all, actually. And then he says, these people are accusing you. They say you're king of the Jews. Are you? Jesus is there. He is not totally stripped yet, but he is in, a, in, a, in an embarrassing state, on trial, a tr trumped up charges. And Jesus says very little to Pontius Pilate, but this is what he says. He says, yes, I am. I am king. When it didn't look like he was king, when people didn't recognize him as king, where situations and circumstances, it didn't seem in anything you could see that he looked like a king, Jesus knew who he was. And despite the circumstances around him, he was able to say, I know who I am. And he said the same word that God said over him. God had called Jesus king. And Jesus said, I am who he says, I am. Jesus made the good confession, homos logos, the same word. He said the same word that God said over him. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says in the same way that Jesus said the same word, he spoke his identity. So also you fight the good fight of faith by laying hold of eternal life and making the good confession. Say over yourself what God says about you. That's what Jesus did. It doesn't look like it. I feel like I'm in the midst of a pooey situation, but I'm going to say this is what God says of me. I am chosen. I am loved. I am called. I am strong. I am more than an overcomer. I am righteous. I am holy. I am blameless. I am beloved in his eyes. I will say the things that he says over me even when the circumstance doesn't say. And that is the fight of faith. That's how we fight the fight of faith. We believe what he says about himself because sometimes the fight of faith is just saying, you are good, you are awesome. Yeah? Like when, when, and I, I told you the story, and Jay and I, when we had our first miscarriage, 21 years of age or whatever, just found out the day before Christmas, I get into a bus, I get off the phone from my dad, having found out my wife's just had a miscarriage and he, she was with my family, I couldn't be with her at the time. I got into a bus and the first thing that came out of my mouth, I was just started a ball. And I was like, God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you you are loving. I thank you you are kind. Somewhere dealt with the fact that no matter what circumstances change, God doesn't. And the battle of faith, the battle of the mind is saying the same word that he says. So Lord, I say this is who you are. You are good. You are holy. Some of you worshipping God today was a really hard thing to do. 
But you made it, you just say, no, I am going to say he is holy. I am going to say I will not turn my back on you because you don't change. That's how we fight the fight of faith. The sword of our weapon is out of our mouth like it is for him. It is the word of our testimony. Okay, so the word of our testimony is who he is and who he says we are. That Paul says, make the good confession, do what Jesus did before Pilate and say, this is who I am. Is that clear? Did I make that, does that make sense? So you need to know who you are because the easiest way, sometimes the most stupid decisions you make, the most stupid decisions we make, <laughs> developing preachers, always identify yourself with the crowd. Don't, don't do the you thing. We, we. Some of the silliest decisions we make is because we're insecure uncertain we made decisions out of insecurity you need to know who you are the easiest way to control someone is to get them insecure if you want to control me try to break down my confidence I dare you try to break down (laughs) try to break down my confidence try to get me to be insecure try to be the second guess who I am and then you can find a way of controlling me okay so that's how you that's how you get to control people or if if you're interested in that I don't suggest you do so that's the antidote to being controlled and to, making a, to avoid making a lot of the silly decisions we make in life is to be know who I am. I'm not reacting to circumstances because I respond out of who I am. This is who I am. Okay? And to not allow, as best as you can, for other people to take that from you. Because other people have an identity they want you to embrace. Okay? We've got groups of people in our country who are born... And because of their grandfather's grandfather's heritage, the moment they're born, we say to them, you're a victim. Because of your great-great-grandfather and who they are, you're a victim and you're, you're underprivileged. You're disadvantaged. As soon as you come out of your mother's womb, because of that heritage, you're disadvantaged. Can you imagine what that does to a community? You just tell them your, your identity. You are disadvantaged. You're a victim. That's not having people would be proud in their culture, in their background. But once you do that, you can have people rely... You can, once people are uncertain about who they are, you can cause them, you can get them to rely on you, you can, you can make them grow up with a victim mentality their whole life. Yeah? We have a very, 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 very small portion of our community who struggle with a genuine, genuine problem of being uncertain of their gender. It is, a, it is a significant psychological problem, uh, concern for people, that they don't know their gender identity, and it's a, it's a serious thing. When you see kids who genuinely don't know whether they're a boy or a girl, that it, they're, you're not, they're not faking it, some of them. This is a genuine thing. So either we really help those individuals, or we make them feel better by taking that 1% and making the rest of the 99% of the population make them uncertain about their gender. Okay, so to make them feel better, let's make everyone uncertain about whether they're a boy or a girl. And then we'll all be more... No, no, no. That's just a nice way to get people unconfident in who they are. You're uncertain in your identity. And once you do that, you can start controlling people. Okay? So, know who you are because you're going to have a lot of people saying different things about you and different things feeding your identity. Because you're this, therefore you're that. It's this whole identity politics we're seeing in our society at the moment. Because you're white, you're that. 
Because I tell you, if you're a white male, you are a controlling uh, force in our community. You are a dominating person if you're a white male. Okay, that's what some of us have been told. Maybe you can't hear that, but some of us are. You're going to have different things said about you. You need to know who, what Jesus says about you and take that voice. And I just think you just need to make a decision to go no matter what voices tell me who I am or try to group me or box me or say this is what you are, therefore you will vote like this or behave like this or believe this. I say the voice I will listen to is Jesus. And I will take his opinion of me above everything else. Okay, And I can't make that decision for you. I can, help you. I can show you in the scriptures who Jesus says you are, but you've just, I think, just got to come to terms with that and go, I, what you say I am, that's what I am. Okay? I am who he says I am. And that's how I fight the good fight of faith, by making the same confession. What you say about me, I will say. I'll believe it and I'll say it. And that's what Peter did. He heard Jesus say that day, Mate, you're awesome. You are blessed. God has given you a revelation of who I am. And now that you know who I am, this is who you are. And from that day, Peter, or Simon, walked around saying, I'm a stone. I'm a rock. My name's Peter. Glad to meet you. Poetry, Rachel, poetry. <laughs> Someone said last week, I can't imagine anything more dangerous to the enemy of our hearts than a people who know who they are. I can't imagine anything more dangerous to the enemy of our hearts than a people who know who they are. And it was last week as Maureen was preaching and read Romans 8. And one of our identities is that we are more than conquerors. Is that it occurred to me. We are more than conquerors because a conqueror is defined by their problem. The reason someone becomes a conqueror is because they've conquered a challenge. And so that is an identity given to them in respect to the problem or their enemy or their challenge. And that's a good identity to have a conqueror. If you conquer a challenge, good for you. Great identity. But we are more than conquerors because our identity is not determined by our enemy. Our identity is not determined by our challenge. We are more than that because ultimately my identity is determined by who God says I am, whether I have a challenge or not, or whether I fail a challenge or not, pass a challenge or not. You fail a test. You fail a challenge. You think you do. And you can still say I'm more than a conqueror because my identity was never based upon this challenge and about how I did in regard to this challenge. My identity is based on what he said about me before this challenge ever existed. I'm having fun. I don't know. Thanks, Dave. So know who you are. Know who he is. Know who you are. And then thirdly to that, Jesus says, now that you know who you are, you are Peter, I'm going to build a community of people. And this is somewhere where as Westerners, we need to take a shift as we read the scripture. Because sometimes we read the Bible or we approach life with a very individualistic mindset. I've often said, if you want to learn about your identity, go home and read Ephesians. I'll say that again today. If you're not reading anything in the Bible at the moment, for goodness sake, go and read Ephesians. It's a great book about your identity, about who God says you are. But as you read that, you also understand it's not talking to me as an individual only. This is a community book. 
And it's not just who Jesus says, I am, but I read this going, this is who we are. And many of our identities don't make sense outside the context of family and outside the context of community. So Jesus said, you've seen who I am. This is who you are as an individual. And now that you know these two things, understand that I'm going to build a community of people that is going to advance and prevail against the gates of Hades, whatever that means. Okay, so you need to understand our context context in community. And that, in a sense, is what this next seven weeks is going to be about. Where we are going to learn, I want you to walk away from these seven weeks knowing more of who he is. That's, that's got to be my main purpose all the time as a preacher. All I want you to do is to know him. <laughs> I don't care if you're like me. I don't care if you don't laugh at my jokes or say amen when I say say amen. I want you to know God. That, that's, that's it. <laughs> okay? Prize A, you know Jesus better. That's my goal. Okay? That's what I want. You know him. Secondly, to know who you are, to walk confidently. All right, so you're not, you could be more secure, grounded, okay? more secure, more confident. But we also want you to walk away from this series knowing who we are. That's why we've called this, this is us. Because often we read the Bible and we go, what's God saying to me? Now that, that's, that matters, but it's an us book. You know, there is an us-ness. There is a community. I'll build a congregation. I'll build an assembly. I'll build a people. And I want to talk about us. And while there are many identities that we have, God has many identities and he reveals himself in different ways. So do we. First the natural, then the spiritual. In, in, in my natural, normal life, I have many identities. I am a father. I'm a son. I'm an uncle. I'm a brother. I'm a grandson. Okay? I'm an employer. I'm an employee. I'm a uh, pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a chook owner. Okay, whatever. I'm going to buy chooks next week. I can't wait. Okay, finally. And, um, but... But all those things, I have many identities and all of them form the complexity of who I am. Okay, And I'm not 2% father, 2% son, 2% husband, 2% grandson. If you add them all together, I'm Chad. No, I'm 100% a son. I'm 100% a grandson. I'm 100% a husband. Okay, And even though you might not know me as husband, in fact, none of you in this room will ever know me as husband. Okay, you may not know me as that, but that's who I am. And I don't have a multiple identity disorder. No, all of those things work in harmony to make Chad, Chad. And the same way, the scripture gives us many different pictures of who God is, of who Jesus is. How can Jesus be your brother and your lover? That is weird. Okay, some people read the Bible and they say, well, God's not like that because my loving dad would never say that. And that is true. But your royal king may say that. Okay, so we can't just take one revelation of God and say, well, that's what God is to me. No, no, God has many identities that he reveals himself in and they don't contradict one another, they complement one another. We all know the difference between something being complicated and something being complex. When something's complicated, a whole bunch of things are going on and they just don't work. Ever had one of those days? Nothing worked today. If I ever start a business, I just, the tagline will be, where stuff just works. That's, that's it. <laughs> Bailey Holmes, where it just works. That's, that's the business, you know? Everything just works. That's what I want. But life's not like that. Life can, life can be complicated. But there's a difference between complicated and being complex. 
if something's complex, like, a bar like the Great Barrier Reef, you're snorkeling and you're seeing an ecosystem, there's a lot of stuff happening. But it all works in harmony. It's not complicated, it's complex and it's beautiful. And so are you. You're complex. Sometimes you can be complicated. But you're designed to be complex and beautiful. You are a multifaceted person because you're made in the image of a multifaceted God. And together, Ephesians says, our job is to display the multifaceted wisdom of God. And it takes a multifaceted community to do that. That's why even though you are a bit weird and that person sitting next to you is even weirder, that's okay because in our uniqueness, we demonstrate the nature of God and his complexity. Okay? So we have multiple identities, God has multiple identities, and we're supposed to embrace them all. For the next seven weeks, we've just chosen seven. And they are the seven, not the most important ones, not even the most biggest focused ones in the scripture, but they are the seven identities that as an eldership team, three years ago, we sat down and we said, Who, what is God called Bayside to be? What is the unique contribution that Bayside Church that distinguishes us from others that we feel this is like our DNA as a church that describes and defines who we are. And out of that workshop, we came up with seven identities from the scripture, because it's all biblically based, that we say, you know what, if we embrace all these seven things, we will really be the church that God's wanting us to be with our unique DNA and values and culture. And that's really all I can say, because we've got seven weeks and I've, I've probably over-talked a little bit, just a little bit. So that's where we're going for the next seven weeks. You okay with that? Are you confident in that? Have I majored on majors and minored on minors? Okay. I'll tell you what the major thing is. Us communing with heaven. We're going to do that today by breaking bread. We won't, we'll, we'll, we'll do it briefly, but we'll do it importantly. Why don't you, um, Amy and Mal, why don't you two come? Jeff, why don't you come? And uh, let's share common union together. See how I did? See what I did there? Common union. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.